Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I am very excited about the next five weeks in the life of our church. Um, as we're going to discover together, um, not only in your individual lives, but together as a church family, um, some of the things that God has for us. And I really am excited about it because um, one of the things that we have found around Northgate over the years is there is something that happens. Um, there's an incredible synergy, a powerful impact um, that comes about when we come together um, with focused concentration on, on a particular um, area of our spiritual lives. And it's, it's like the difference between um, being in a room with a light bulb and, and a laser-like focus that has so much more power. And so the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to be doing. Um, and there's a lot, couple of different aspects to it. Um, the one is our Sunday morning messages. We're taking a biblical look at what it is that God does as He grows our lives, particularly through His work of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Along with that, um, midweek we are having gatherings, um, group gatherings. Now, many of you are already a part of a community group. We're asking all of our regular community groups to meet on your regular night, but meet here um, as we gather together. There's going to be a video, um, a little video lesson, and then break up into groups. And if you're not a part of a community group, um, here's a great chance for you to meet some of the other Northgate attenders and, um, and maybe even get plugged in with one. Now, I know some people are just really, really nervous about community groups. They're going to make me tell my deepest, darkest secrets to a group of strangers that I don't know. We won't make you do that, okay? Um, but we do find that when we come together, when we talk together, when we learn together um, and interact with each other, there is something that God does when his people come together. And so midweek on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night, we're going to be gathering here and um, for a, a brief video lesson and then breaking up into groups. The third aspect of it is this book. Um, it's called The Me I Want to Be. And we are going to be going through some of these things together as a church family. It's all about how to become God's best version of you. What he had in mind when he created you because every one of us is different. And what God wants for your life is the very, very best that he designed you for. To live the life he, did, he created you to live. Um, to, to become the best version of you that God had in mind. Kind of a you 2.0, okay? Uh, the best version of, of, um, of yourself. So um, it's going to be Sunday morning messages. Now what I'm going to ask you to do for the next five weeks is make Sunday mornings a priority. Do not miss a message because each one builds on the other. So just do everything you can. Be here for the, at least for the next five weeks every Sunday morning. If for some reason you're on your deathbed and you cannot make it, um, listen to the podcast, okay? So just you know, get the messages and then become a part of a midweek gathering. Inside your uh, program, there's this little insert. If you'd all pull this out. Um, last week, we just asked you, um, because we have childcare provided only on the Wednesday nights, um, we've asked people to let us know if you've got kids and what their ages are. But what we really want is for everybody to register for this. So we have an idea of how many to expect for each night. So whatever night of the week is best for you, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, or Thursday night, use this. Um, let us know which night you're registering for. Put it in one of the offering boxes. Um, so that helps us better plan and prepare. And, and again, I really encourage you to be a part of that, um, whether you're already in a community group or not at all. Um, come and be a part of it. And then the book is meant to be a devotional guide. This is for your own personal growth and development. Pick up a copy of this book along with the, um, there's a participant's guide, a study guide that goes with it, and use this for your quiet time. Reading through the book, interacting, there's, there's scripture um, lessons, there's um, part of it all in the study guide. So you can pick up both the book and the study guide. They're at the information desk. We've made a bunch of them available at, at like 
Cheap, cheap, cheap. So if you buy them two together, it's 20 bucks for the two. Um, if you buy them separately, if you say, well, I'm not going to do the study guide, I'm just going to read the book, well, that's going to cost you 15 bucks, okay? So for five bucks more, you get the study guide. If you say, well, I'm not going to read the book, but maybe I'll do the study guide, that's going to cost you 10, okay? So the best deal is get them both and, um, and become a part of this. Now, here's the thing. To get the very, very most out of it, get involved in all aspects of it. Sunday mornings, midweek gathering, and then your own personal quiet time, okay? Now, here's the deal. Here's what we know, because we've done this before, and we know most people are like, okay, yeah, I'm on board. I'll get the book, I'll, you know, whatever it takes. I want to participate. I want to find out everything that I can in this whole series. So a lot of you will do that. Now, some of you, you're kind of that skeptical, you know, kind of say, well, I don't know, you know, it all signs kind of, you know, forced and, you know, I don't know. And you'll hang back, and you'll kind of maybe, maybe get involved, maybe, maybe not, okay? And then some of you leftover hippies, you're just like anything the establishment says, I'm not going to do it just because they told me to, okay? Get over yourselves, all right? Okay? You're not cowing down to the man, okay? We are learning and we are growing together here, okay? You know who you are. In fact, the Bible has a term for you guys, stiff-necked, okay? Read about it. Check it out, all right? The, the whole idea is that we grow and we learn together, and we have discovered over and over again there's something powerful when we come together with this focus on, on what God is doing in each of our lives. And we all grow. And as a church, we grow as a family, as a body. So please, um, be a part of this whole thing. Um, get involved. If you can't make, if like Wednesday night is your regular night, but you can't make every Wednesday night, it's okay to come on Tuesday night. But don't miss a week. Okay? It's, it's all really, really good stuff. And it's really all about learning to follow God's lead in your life. Learning to flow with the Holy Spirit. Because God's Spirit, if you have put your life in Christ, His Spirit indwells you. And His Spirit leads and guides you. And that's what we're going to be talking about starting off this morning. And I want you to turn, if you would, to the book of John, chapter 7. Just three short verses. Um, this comes at a time near the end of Jesus' life. And, and he goes up to the Feast of Tabernacles. So I'll explain a little bit later what that is all about. But while he is at the feast, if you pick it up in verse 30, 37, it says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And anyone who believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. That is God's desire for your life. That is what Christ has called us to. It is life. It is life in the flow of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to unpack a little bit this morning. We're going to talk about what that looks like. Life in the flow of the Spirit. Because it's all about the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's really what this Christian life is all about. And when the flow of God's Spirit is happening in your life, it is life-giving. It is life-giving. Giving. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. What he is saying is, there is only one source for your life. 
There's only one source for your life. And it is not from within you. It comes from outside of you. It comes to you. It comes into you. But it doesn't come from within you. It comes from outside of you. It comes from me. There is one source for your life. And if you want that life, come and follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. And, and as we're going to go through this in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what does that look like for each and every one of us? Because it's different. Yes, there are some commonalities. Yes, there are certain disciplines that will help every one of us. There are certain things that will contribute to that. But it doesn't happen exactly in the same way in every life. Because you are uniquely created by God. You have certain gifts and talents. You have certain abilities that God has given you. You have a personality that is like no one else's, thank God. He only made one of you. And he will relate to you in the way that he designed you to relate to him. And that's what the flow of the Spirit is all about. Now, the title of the book that we're using as kind of a basis for the devotional guide, The Me I Want to Be, is a little bit misleading because it makes it sound like it's all about me. But it's not. In fact, one of the things you'll find as you read through the book, it's not about you. It's not about you at all. It's about God. In fact, one of the, things is the, um, one of the sentences that he uses very, very often is understanding there is a God and it is not you. <laughs> it is discovering who God is and how to become in line with him in your life. Now, Jesus says, the, John says, this whole thing happens at a feast. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was probably the most celebrated, uh, the most joyous of all Israel's feasts. And they had a number of them throughout the year. The Feast of Tabernacles, Tabernacles is just a really fancy word for tent. Okay? Because what it was about was it was a historical remembrance of God's provision and caring for the nation as they made their way through the wilderness from their slavery in Egypt to the land that God had promised them. And that they lived as wanderers. They lived in tents. And so during the feast, nobody would live in their nice, comfortable bed. They would all camp out. They would have tents or lean-to shelters that they would erect either around their house or up on the roof or somewhere where they would live. And it was a whole week-long celebration. And it was a reminder that we are sojourners in this world. This is not our final home. And in the same way that God has led us up to this point, He will lead us forward. So it was a historical remembrance. It also represented... There was an agricultural significance. It It was their thanksgiving. It came at harvest time. And it was a reminder, again, as God has provided in this past year, as he has provided all that we needed in the harvest, so he will do so in the future. It was a look back on God's guidance and provision, but it was also a look forward to God will continue to do that. And part of the celebration involved a particular ceremony. And the ceremony was that each evening, the priest would take a golden pitcher and go make his way down to the pool of Siloam, where he would dip out of that pool a pitcher full of water. And then there would be a procession back up to the temple. And as they went, they would sing the songs, sing from the Psalms, all of these things about God's provision and God's care and God's leading and God's guidance. And then when they got to the temple mountain, they got to the altar, what they would do is out of that golden pitcher of water, through a silver funnel, they would pour it through that funnel out onto the ground. Just right there out on the ground. Now, What it meant was historically that in the same way that God provided all that we needed as we wandered through the wilderness, God provided the water that sustained our life. And in the same way that God has provided water and the rains over this past year to bring a plentiful harvest, so God will do so in the future. And it's a very extravagant thing. In fact, they did this every night of the the feast. Seven times they did this. 
In fact, on the last night, which was, we're told here, was the last and greatest night of the feast, as they did this, they came, they brought it, and they walked around the altar seven times, signifying how many times they had walked around Jericho before it fell, their first victory in the new land. Okay? So there was all kinds of significance to that. But the pouring out of the water had the greatest significance because they lived in a very dry and arid place. There are not very many rivers that run through Israel. In fact, there's only one really major river. There's a lot of smaller ones, but only one major river was the River Jordan. It's, a, it's the eastern border of, Israel, border of Israel. And so most of the sources of water came in what were called wadis, which were seasonal streams. So, so the water didn't flow year-round in these streams. In fact, they were dependent on a good heavy rainfall to keep that flowing into the dry season. But usually by the end of the dry season, they were dried up. And it's at that point where they have the ceremony. So what they're doing, they're, they're expressing the extravagant love and provision of God. So much so that in faith, we will spill water on the ground because God will provide for our future. That's what it meant. That it was an act of, 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 of trust and faith, but it was also a belief in God's extravagant love and provision. It had historical significance, but also future significance. And we're told on the last and greatest day of the feast... Probably just as they completed that last ceremony, that last pouring out, Jesus stands up to the crowd and he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Find your satisfaction in me. That water meant life, as it still does today. And he says, If you want life, come to me. Come to me. And it says that he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. The streams of water was the Spirit who had not been given yet because Jesus hadn't died, resurrected, and gone back into heaven. But he would. And then he would send the Holy Spirit for the benefit of us. At this time, these guys didn't know what they were talking about. But we know now. It's for the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what is life-giving. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that we begin to understand life as God designed it to be. The life God created you to live. Paul wrote about it to the Corinthian church. He said, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. See, only God knows you thoroughly because he created you. And only God knows what will satisfy your deepest needs and desires. And he describes it as thirst. See, anyone who is dissatisfied with their life, anyone who is dry and parched, anyone who is, has a longing for something more, come to me. Come to me and be satisfied. And the thing is that when you come to Christ, you discover you are far more thirsty than you realized. Did you know that physically when you start to feel thirsty, you are already dehydrated? By the time you start to feel thirst in your throat, in your mouth, in your tongue, okay? By the time you start to feel thirsty, you are already 2 to 3% dehydrated. Yeah, you are already on your way. Our bodies is, is mostly water. The muscles that give you the ability to stand up, to walk around, to do activities is made up. 75% of your muscle is water. Your blood that flows through your, through your veins is 82% Water. The lungs that you use to breathe air is 90% water. Your brain. Your brain is 80% water. Even your bones, the driest part of your body is one 
forth water. You are nothing but a water bag. <laughs> and we need water to survive. We absolutely have to have water. In fact, we find out water does incredible things in our body. Water is what gives you the ability to, to, uh, to move, to have energy. It does all of these things for us. And we need water to live. And people look for all kinds of things to satisfy that thirst. Some people do it through ambition, climbing up that ladder, making it up in the world, you know, showing myself to be better than everybody else, just moving forward. That's where some people try to find that. Some people try to find it through accomplishments. Leave my mark on the world. Leave a legacy. You know, whatever it is, I do something that I can show. This is my life. Some people try to do it by acquiring stuff and building a comfortable lifestyle. Some people even try to do it with religion. But every one of those things is only, only temporarily satisfying. It is short-lived satisfaction. Jesus promised something more. That out of your being would flow this water. And he promised that, by the way, notice he said, anyone. Just anyone. All you got to do is acknowledge your thirst. And you are far more thirsty than you realize. To a woman that he met at a well, he used the very same analogy. She was an outcast in her own society. She had broken relationships, broken marriages, strings of them. Looking for, for community, looking for love, looking for something. And Jesus met her and asked her for a drink from the well. And she says, well, you know, how are you going to... And Jesus said this to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Outcast in her own society. Someone who probably thought there was no hope for her. Nobody loves me. Doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, who you are. Anyone who is thirsty. And in fact, he went on and told her in verse 14, the water that I give will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. That's grace. That's God's provision. And when we get into the flow of the Spirit, it is life-giving. And not only that, when the Spirit flows in you, it is also life-fulfilling. Jesus said, come to me, come to me and drink. In other words, treat your soul like you treat your thirst. Let it get down, let the Spirit get down into the inner workings of your life. Let it replenish you, let it restore you. You know what, what water does? Water is an incredible thing on our bodies. It boosts your energy. It, it, um, it reduces stress. If you're really stressful, just take a glass of water. It can help. It really does. It, it, it keeps your muscles from cramping. Those of you who are worried about wrinkles, you drink more water. Honestly, it plumps up the cells. It, it reduces wrinkles. You don't have to buy oil of Olay. You know, just drink a glass of water. It's incredible stuff. Not only that, not only is it replenishing, but it removes the toxins and impurities in our body. It flushes out the system. It keeps minerals from depositing themselves in your kidneys, creating kidney stones, of which I've become intimately familiar lately. <laughs> I am drinking more water today than I ever have before. I am more of a water bag than anybody, okay? <laughs> it keeps life moving. That's what water does. It's a, and you find it throughout Scripture. It is a picture of life. Jeremiah 17 talks about the one who trusts in God will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots out by the stream. Its leaves are always green, and it never fails to bear fruit. 
that God's spirit flowing through you is like water that nourishes a tree bearing fruit, a tree planted by the stream that never runs out of the water, that is always producing fruit. What does that fruit look like? Paul wrote about it to the Galatian church. He said the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The way that you assess the flow of the Spirit in your life is what is growing out of it. What is the outgrowth of your life? What comes out of your life? Is it worry? Is it stress, anger, greed, animosity? Is it selfishness? Is it unhappiness? How many, you know, how many, I'm sure everyone here knows at least one person who's just an unhappy person. Nothing is good in their life. Life is always miserable. They're always on the negative. They're always complaining about something. They're just not happy people. What is growing out of your life? That is the best indicator of a thirsty soul. He says a replenishing soul, a a, a well-watered soul produces these kinds of things. Love, joy, peace, patience. Now, here's the mistake. Here's the mistake most people make. We, we come to Christ and we understand I can do nothing to save myself. So I put my life in Christ's hands. I ask for his forgiveness. I, I trust in what he did on the cross for me and paying for my sin and his resurrection to give me new life. I do all of that. And then I think, now that he has saved me by grace, now I got to work real hard at changing my life. And that's the biggest mistake we can make. Because he saves us by his grace. But His grace is also to live and flow through us as well. We live by grace. We grow by grace. It is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of our own effort. You don't tell a tree, okay, now produce fruit. Fruit, 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 fruit. No. You just stay planted by the water and let the Spirit produce the fruit. And most people make the mistake of thinking, well, all I got to do is I got to try harder. I look at my life and I don't see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I don't see those things in the measure that I would like to see them. So there must be something I'm doing wrong. I must have to try harder at this. And so what happens is we look at the life that we have right now. We look at the life that God is supposed to have for us, that we believe he has for us, and we feel guilty because we don't measure up. And because we feel guilty, we feel like, well, there's something I ought to do to alleviate the guilt. So I start trying harder. And the harder I try, the the, the wearier I get and the more tired I get. And I get to the point where I'm just trying, 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 and I get so tired that I quit. And then, of course, once I quit, I start feeling guilty because I quit. So the cycle starts back over again. So out of my guilt, I start trying harder, harder, and harder. And I get more and more tired, and then I quit. And we go through the same cycle, and we never grow. We never develop because we're trying to do it all in our own strength. John Ortberg writes about this in his book. Let me read it to you. He says, some people think if they just try harder, they can close the gap between the me God made them to be and the me that currently exists. They think they are simply not being heroic enough in their spiritual effort. I'll read another book. I'll listen to another talk. I'll learn some new disciplines. I'll serve more. I'll work harder. I'll try to be nicer to the people in my life. And you hear someone who gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning to pray. And you feel guilty because you don't think you pray enough. So you resolve to do that too, even though you are not a morning person. At 4 o'clock in the morning, you are dazed and confused, groggy and grumpy. And no one wants to be around you at that time in the morning. Even Jesus doesn't want to be around you at 4 in the morning. And so we keep trying harder. 
What if? What if what Jesus says is true? What if there is another way? What if it's not about me trying harder, but rather me surrendering my life to Him? Me learning to listen and recognize when the Spirit speaks to me and then responding in obedience. A little bit later, Jesus tells His disciples, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you if we would just learn to recognize the flow of the Spirit in our life and then respond in obedience to what He's doing. Yes, there are certain disciplines. Yes, there are certain practices that will lead us in that direction. But what if, what if the greatest task that we have is just to simply recognize what are the things that block off the flow of the Spirit in my life and then work at removing those things? And then instead, learning to surrender and follow God's lead in our life. What if that were really possible? What if what Jesus says is really true? Then the flow of the Spirit not only becomes life-giving, but it becomes life-fulfilling. And not only that, the, life, the flow of God's Spirit in my life becomes life-directing. It starts to change the way that I live my life. He goes on in verse 38, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. That God's Spirit is not only to flow in you, but through you out to others. That that is part of the life that God designed for you to live. And too many Christians, I think, just go through this whole idea. They think it's just me and God. It's just me and my God. As long as i got a relationship with God, as long as I know I'm going to heaven, that's all I need to do. And we have missed the whole point. And people like that, they're very good at taking in, but they are never giving out. And the geography of Israel is a really good example of that. There is a Sea of Galilee in the northern end, and it flows into the River Jordan. And that River Jordan flows from the Sea of Galilee into another, into another sea. Anybody know what that sea is? The Dead Sea, because it has no outlet. There is no outlet. It flows in, but it never flows out. And because of that, it, it, nothing can live there. It is a dead sea. That's how it got its name. There is nothing there. And so many people approach their life with Christ as if it's just taking information. If I just feed my brain, if I just know more, if I just do, then that's all there is. And that's, that is, if you don't take any action, if you don't live it out, if it doesn't express itself in your relationship to other people, it's dead. That's what James says. Faith without works is dead. And the greatest tragedy, I believe, in the North American church particularly is we have turned Christianity into a spectator sport. We show up, we sing, we sit down, and we soak. And we walk out and think, well, I did my Christian thing for the week. And we've missed the whole point. Because there's no outlet. We just feed our brains. We go through the motions. And deep down inside, we are thirsty for something more. But nobody will admit that. Because that might mean that somehow I'm showing I'm deficient in my life in Christ. And I don't want anybody else in my church to think that about me. So I'll just go through the motions and keep going on. And maybe try harder for a while. But nothing really happens. And we long for something more. Something that Christ has promised us. And we don't get in on it. Because we are content to just sit and soak. Do you know what part of your home has the greatest concentration of bacteria? And disease, potential disease, the kitchen sponge. Not your toilet. It's the kitchen sponge. 
because it sits and it soaks, but nothing flows through it. See, what God works in you and me, he wants to flow through you and me. There needs to be an outlet to all this. It is is about becoming less and less self-centered, less and less selfish, and becoming more and more others-focused, more outwardly focused. Paul wrote about it to the Roman church. He said, people who are ruled by their desires think only of themselves. If our minds are ruled by our desires, we will die. But if our minds are ruled by the Spirit, we will have life and peace. If we will but get our minds in tune with Christ, if we will but let the Spirit flow through our life, if we will join in with what God is doing through His Spirit in our lives, we will have life and peace. It will change the way we look at life. It will change our whole focus. It will change our whole mental perspective, which, by the way, the Bible has a word for that. It is called repentance. That's repentance. It means literally to change my mind, but not just to have a new idea. It is to change my whole way of thinking in such a way that it changes the course and direction of my life. It's not just feeling sorry that I sinned or even that I got caught sinning. It is truly desiring change in my life. It is admitting that I am thirsting for something more and my own efforts will not attain it. I want to follow God's way. It is a transforming of our mindset. And what it does is it transforms everything else. Transforms our relationships with one another. Transforms every aspect of our life. Ephesians 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Fruit of the Spirit. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He said just concentrate on keeping unity of the Spirit. That the flow of the Spirit happens in your life and in your community. That's where to put your concentration. And what it does, it not only changes the way you think, it changes the whole direction of your life. Let me read you one more part from John's book. It tells a story. It says, I was traveling on an obscure back roads of, of, uh, in a part of the country I had never been before. When I obtained the rental car, the man at the counter said to me, along with this car, if you want, you can also get a little box, a guidance system. Have you ever seen one of these? You plug it in and punch in your destination, and a voice will tell you how to get wherever it is that you are going. Do you want to add this to your car, he asked. My immediate response was, no, I'm not going to pay for that. I can find where I'm going without that. But then I went out to the parking lot. I could not find my car. I could not remember what stall it was in. I had to go back to the counter and tell the man I had gotten lost before I even found my car. I decided to get the box. There was a voice coming out of the box. You don't have to even look at a screen or follow a map. Someone talks to you. It's in a British voice because people who talk in a British accent always sound smarter. And you're just more inclined to do what they say. And it was a woman's voice because, well, same thing. You can get the box... You can have the lady's voice in the car, but that doesn't mean you trust her. If you trust her, what do you do? You do what she says. You go where she tells you to go. If she says turn left, you turn left. If she says turn left, but in your heart you think, oh, but I want to turn right, you remember that verse. There is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. (laughs) To live in the flow of the Spirit means doing what Jesus says. I will mess up a lot. I'm going to need his power. I know that. But I form the intention. I say to him, God, with your help as best I can, I will do what you say. 
I will give you my life, my time, my obedience. And if that is not my settled intent, then it is best to just be honest about it. There is something else you need to know. At one point when I was driving in the unfamiliar territory, I was quite sure that the lady in the guidance system was wrong. She said to go left, but I didn't go left. I went right because I knew she was wrong. Then, in a fascinating response, she said, Recalculating route. When safe to do so, execute a U-turn. I knew she still was wrong, so I unplugged her. (laughs) That's the beauty of the little box. You can unplug her. And would you believe it? I got lost as a goose, which my wife enjoyed immensely. So we plugged the lady back in, and you know what she said? I told you so, you idiot. You think I'm going to help you now? You rejected me. There's no way. You're going to have to find your way by yourself. No. Of course she didn't say those things. She said, recalculating route. When safe to do so, execute a U-turn. That is grace. God will say to you, here is the way home. Execute a U-turn. And as soon as you are ready to listen, as soon as you are ready to surrender, that is repentance. He will say, I will bring you home. And that is grace. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.